1: Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome along to Football Digest Extra Time with myself, Nick Keating. I'm joined today by Josh O'Brien as we run the rule over what was another busy weekend of Premier League action. Josh, we're going to dial it back to Sunday to start off with and probably what is going to prove to be the most pivotal day in the title race. Uh, Manchester City playing first, getting the victory over Everton to really put the pressure on Arsenal when they were unable to to match that. Um, Obviously losing 3-0 with themselves at home to Brighton, it effectively ends their title charge this season, I think, Josh. And in terms of this Arsenal squad, for so long they've been the leaders. Many times on this show, we've we've spoken about, oh, we think they're going to do it. We, we expect them to go and do it now. And Manchester City have just eaten into that lead, overtaken them now, have stretched past them. Of course, Manchester City win at the weekend. That that will be the title done and dusted. Of course, it might not even need Manchester City to win. Should Arsenal lose at Nottingham Forest on Saturday night? But in terms of the impact this will have on the Arsenal squad, how will missing out on the title this season affect them going
2: forward? You know, it's it's going to leave a few scars on them, isn't it? I think it will. I think it will hurt them. Um, I think the fact that they're a young squad both helps and hinders them in this instance because obviously the pain of their first title race ending defeat is obviously going to hurt, but they've got more time. I know Gary Neville made a good point about how, you know, they are young and chances are they will be there again. They have a tendency under Arteta to respond quite well. This happened last year with top four. And if you look at Arteta's reign, it went from eight to fifth narrowly missing out on fourth and then they jumped into a title race i don't think there's anything to suggest they can't go one better next year no one had them down as second before a ball was kicked in august and they've they've outdone everyone's expectations and yeah I, I don't see why they shouldn't be going into the summer with a few more additions looking to challenge city again and and putting the scars of this season line in terms of
1: how this season's panned out though do you think it might be that the squad perhaps you know they, they they could go and win the title next year and then we forget all about this and there's no issue. But but let's say, you know, it takes them still another couple of years to win the title or, or they don't win a title as a squad. Do they look back at this year as perhaps the, the kind of one that got away the opportunity missed? Because you look at the teams that, you know, Manchester City for much of the season haven't been their rampant best. You know, they, they've really hit form since the spring international break and they are dominating teams like we've come to expect in recent years. But up to that point, They didn't really seem to be clicking like the Manchester City that we knew. Of course, Manchester United in transition, Chelsea, God knows what they're up to at the minute. Liverpool, likewise, not on that level that they've been in previous years. This was a real opportunity for Arsenal. They've taken it at least to get back into the Champions League and be involved in that title race. But if they don't win that title in the next couple of years, is this the kind of, you know, what might have been for this squad? And those thoughts start creeping into
2: their head. Maybe. I think as is often the case with, I imagine, every team that's missed out on a title, there's those moments that you look back on and think, was that the moment where it started to slip away? And I think for Arsenal, those moments happened in such quick succession, whether it be throwing away the lead at Anfields or Saka's penalty miss at West Ham. I think that was the one for me where you could sense things were starting to slip, uh, especially as West Ham went and equalised two minutes later. And then Southampton, it looked like from that, moment, Arsenal were just spiraling, spiraling out of control. So yeah, if they don't, if they don't bounce back and they, this is, this Arsenal squad doesn't go on to achieve a title, maybe they'll look back at those moments, but all Arteta can tell them at the moment is remember them, learn from them and, you know, make sure. He, he, he alluded to something similar, um, I think before the Newcastle game recently where he showed them the Amazon doc and their reactions to missing out on top four last year. I think with him in charge, they'll u- he'll use this pain and those moments to try and go again. But yeah, I think I think those moments will live in the in the players' heads for quite a while, and it's it's up to them and up to Arteta to try and kind of banish those things. Oh, for sure, I'm sure we're expecting uh, you know stories about certain team
1: talks that will probably use as you said there this year as a, as a bit of motivation for next term for Arsenal. But one thing that is consistent between last season when they missed out on the top four and this season when they missed out on the title is that results and performances haven't gone the way that they would have expected and hoped for and they haven't been able to match what went before it when they've come back from from the international break at the end of March. You know, you look at the results last season when they missed out on the top four and they had that horrific run where I think they lost three in a row, wasn't it? You know, against teams that they'd be expected to beat. It wasn't defeats this year, it was draws instead. So of course, you know, steady improvement and all that for sure. But is there perhaps a, a you know, am I looking too much into this? Am I reading too much into this? Or should there be cause for concern that for whatever happens when Arsenal come back from that March international break, get into April, that they just can't pick up from where they have been beforehand? Or is this, you know, as I said there, just, just reading too much into it, it's just a, one of those things that happens in football a complete coincidence?
2: No, I think it's fair to, to look into. I think what's concerning is it's difficult to pinpoint why. You know, these are the same players. I, I think you can factor in someone like Saka must be suffering from, from burnout in terms, of, if you look at the decline he's had since after the international break, since that kind of Liverpool game onwards, he looks a shell of the kind of player that started this season. And it's not just him. I think the more experienced players post-international break have let Arsenal down a bit. I think Thomas Parties looks a completely different player to the one that started this season. And even the City boy, the former City boys that have kind of earned a lot of praise over the course of the season in Zinchenko and Gabriel Jesus. Zinchenko more so I think as it's got close after the international break, as the end of the season has become closer and closer, he's ramps up the emotion. He seemed to, you know, the team talk on the pitch at Southampton, he wears his emotions on his sleeve. And I think little things like that at this stage of the season, after an international break, you rely on your experienced players who have been there and done it to help you out in this instance. And I don't think Arsenal's have this year, whether it be party. Jesus, Zinchenko, they, they seem to have, they're the ones that seem to have let the pressure get the better of them.
1: You mentioned there about Thomas Partake, um, and, and for anyone listening to the course watching it as well, uh, John Cross did a, a brilliant piece which you can read on the Daily Mirror website, um, looking at what Arsenal will be targeting in the summer in terms of their their summer recruitment plans. Declan Rice has emerged as their number one target. We'll come on to him in a second, but they, John Cross reported that Arsenal also looking at a centre half, a fullback, another midfielder, and a right winger. So, really looking at adding depth to that squad. That's something that I think you touched on there about Saka having burnout and and, and other players as well looking like they are. You know, they've kind of reached the end of that. That you know, everything's taken that toll on them uh, at, at this stage in the season, playing so many games. And Arsenal have been fortunate to an extent with injuries. It's just that they've not had that that kind of wider squad depth. So, of course, they'll look to add that in the summer. But is Declan Rice? Exactly the kind of player that they need to kind of, you know, take them from title challenges into title winners. I
2: think so. I think uh, he's, what, 24 years of age and the talent we've already seen that he's got. I think that's the kind of marquee signing that will take Arsenal up to the next level. It feels like oh, Jesus and Zinchenko were kind of last season's marquee signings. And I think they've done a great job of taking Arsenal up to second. But Rice feels like one that could get them over the line as well as the kind of other positions you mentioned that they are targeting, I think depth has been a real issue for Arsenal this season in that, you know, you mentioned they haven't been that unlucky with injuries in terms of the amount they've had but one in William Saliba has arguably ended their title race. You know, the the drop off in quality from Saliba to Rob Holding is undeniable. So with Rice in there, with, I know Mark Gehi, yeah, someone that Arsenal have, have been linked with, I think maybe just reducing the the Goldfin quality from those waiting in the wings and adding a guaranteed starter like Declan Rice. I don't think he's coming to share minutes with Thomas Partey or Granit Xhaka. I think he's coming to, you know, be one of the first names on the Arsenal team sheet. I think if he does join, that that nails on Arsenal's title challengers next season rather than, you know, top four contenders. Again, they're there as a statement of intent to tell Man City they're coming back and they're going to try and go one better this time. And of course, they'll need that depth as well for the for the
1: Champions League. It's not so much kind of, I oh, will give the kids minutes on Thursday night. We'll, we'll, they'll want to play these bigger players. You know, I can't see Rob Holding ever starting, God bless him. Can't see him ever starting a Champions League game for Arsenal. And if it is, that kind of you know, poses a few question marks about their summer recruitment. But that, that's the other issue to this as well, that there is now this kind of, you know, greater expectation. No one will expect Arsenal to win it next year. I'm not saying that in the slightest, but the the kind of step up and the players that will need to be able to kind of, you know, not so much rotate the squad, but you see what Manchester City are able to do, don't you? You know, kind of the players can be rested in certain key games and the quality that comes through, there's no drop off there really by and large. And that's what, kind of where Arsenal have to look there, isn't it? As you said, they're about kind of trying to add, you know, not only just starters, but to make sure that the kind of, the, the average level of the squad, shall we say, you know, kind of the guys that are coming in are of a sufficient quantity to be able to compete in the Champions League and get through to to the latter stages quarterfinals, semi-finals,
2: perhaps. Yeah, this, this current Arsenal squad couldn't survive in the Champions League. You know, it would it, be a non-starter. So I think it's all about raising the level like you say and uh, it seems like the Cronkies and those above them, those above Arteta recognise that and have greenlit and said, yeah, go ahead and, and make Arsenal kind of Champions League team not for, because the, the, the race for Champions League qualification is only going to get harder. You know, it's not so much a big six anymore. You've got Newcastle in the mix. Big teams are going to miss out. So there's every, you know, some people would suggest that there's no guarantee that Arsenal get it next season. I think this summer is going to be defining, as you say, being able to mix it with the best, mix it with the likes of City. And when someone like William Saliba gets injured, you can call upon a Premier League proven, ready, young centre-back. And have people like Declan Rice, Granit Xhaka, Thomas Pike all waiting in the wings for a competition that also really have underwhelmed in, in their history. And I think uh, Arteta's European history as Arsenal manager is particularly underwhelming. So I think next season will be really interesting to see how the squad and the manager juggle having Champions League commitments because, like you say, it's not it's not the Oak League anymore. You're not you're not playing Rapid Vienna in the group stages. You know you, you've got big games every week, every three four days. So also we're going to need a big summer and a lot of big incomings. So I think to juggle that.
1: Going from one team who are in next season's Champions League to one team who are desperately trying their best to get in there. Uh, Liverpool recording the 3-0 win at Leicester on Monday night. It's now seven wins in a row for Jurgen Klopp's team. They've really cut down the gap to Newcastle and Manchester United in the top four. However, they still remain uh, one point outside and of the course. Newcastle and Manchester United having games in hand over Liverpool as well. But Josh, you know, Jürgen Klopp in his post-match press conference after the game at Leicester was saying, you know, six, seven weeks ago, we couldn't even have imagined that we'd be in this position. But much like Manchester City have just been like a juggernaut in this part of the campaign and just been winning games, winning games, winning games and cutting down that lead to Arsenal, Liverpool are now doing the same in that race for the top four. What's changed for them in the last few weeks? You know, the early part of the season, they seem to be missing something. They weren't the Liverpool team that we'd become accustomed to in the last few years, you know, regularly pushing Manchester City, at, at you know, across all competitions really, you know, not just uh, uh, domestically, but uh, uh, in Europe as well. They now seem to have kind of found the right formula, don't they, at, at the right time of the season. It's just a case of whether or not they, they maybe have left themselves too much to do.
2: But what is it that's, that's changed for Liverpool in the last few weeks? It's difficult to say. I think, you know, it's interesting much like Man City do with title races, this isn't the first time Liverpool have turned it on at this stage of the season when Champions League's on the line. I think it was the lockdown season when they started so poorly and ended up coming third. You know, they seem to be able to have that switch and and turn it on. Not so much when they want, but it, it makes you question where this was at the start of the season. But this last run of games, they they seem to be playing with the pressure off. I don't know if Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool prefer being the chasers as opposed to the one being chased, but they, uh, yeah, they, they seem to relish this kind of situation. I mean, they, at no point last night against Leicester, looked under threat. They looked like they had it under control, knew the game plan, knew what they needed to do from the first whistle. I think it's helped someone like Curtis Jones. I mean, his form has rapidly shut up in this period. Now that he's contributing with goals as well, it kind of eases the burden on people like Salah, who, you know, has had a fantastic season in front of goal, but he's had a few, you know, he'd missed a couple of penalties in recent weeks. He missed a sitter a last night for on goal. Maybe at the beginning of the season, if that were to happen, there was no one else necessarily to step up. Nunes was still integrating into the team. Um, they've missed Diaz basically all season with injury. So maybe now with someone like Jones stepping up to the mix when it, when it matters, they're just starting to believe again. I know the Liverpool players, I've seen recent interviews with Henderson and uh, Alexander-Arnold have tried to downplay. You know, their, I, I think they've the, the message to the public is they don't expect to get it. And, if, and I don't know if that's a deliberate tactic to put pressure on the likes of United and Newcastle, but it'll be interesting to see the last two games how United and Newcastle fare being the ones chased by Liverpool. Just to,
1: just on Curtis Jones that he said about his form and of course scored two goals against Leicester uh, on Monday night. Um, where I'm going to go with this statement and this sentence next is in no way saying that the two of them are a comparable talents. But do you think he may have taken all the links and all the talk about oh we've missed out on Jude Bellingham a little bit personally and gone well okay we can't get him I can, I can be the man because he looks like you know there was so much uh hype around him when he was when he was first breaking into the Liverpool team. Obviously, scored that great goal in the FA Cup against Everton to win the game. That gives you instant godlike hero status, I'm sure, on on Merseyside. But he's not. You know, we've been kind of waiting for that moment, that kind of you know the second break for You know, the first one is when you burst into the scene. The second one is when you kind of really start to add you know consistent performances to your to your bow. And he's doing that now. He's t- he's taking this opportunity that Jurgen Klopp's given him. He's he's as you said that you know kind of. Contributing with goals, being the link now between the midfield uh, and, and the attack um, for Liverpool. And he's really kind of starting to show, you know, the talent that we all knew was there. It was just a case of waiting for it to come out at some point. And of course, you know, Liverpool down the years have had so many talented midfielders, you know, in, in Curtis's Jones too, in and around the first team. You know, Junior and Alden, obviously not there anymore, but Thiago, Henderson, Fabinho. Great midfielders. obviously hard to break into. But now he's there, he's, he's kind of saying, well, this is my shirt now, come and take it off my back.
2: Yeah, it's quite, it's nice. It's a nice story in that he's had to wait in the wings for so long after that goal against Everton, where he sort of announced himself. He said there's been so many good midfielders in front of him. But yeah, maybe he has taken the links to Bellingham and and links to Mason Mount quite personally. You know, everyone always talks about how midfield is a problem area for Liverpool uh, for a number of reasons, including the fact that they don't, well, they haven't in recent history contributed enough goals. Alden feels like the last Liverpool player that you could Liverpool midfield player you could rely on for a goal. And if Jones can become that, become the new version of that for this Liverpool team, then it's difficult to imagine him coming out of the side because you look at someone like Arsenal, for example. You can't put a price on how important it is to have the goals shared. You know, Martin Odegaard's got 15 goals this season. If Curtis Jones can get anywhere close to that, he he immediately goes from being a fringe player to one of the first names on the team sheet. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see his development. I think it's come at quite a nice time before the summer window. Maybe Klopp's now thinking, you know, do we need to spend that much money on another midfielder? And maybe he's put himself in a good position to kind of be within the first, within one of the first 11 for next season. In terms of that top four battle
1: now, though, uh, as we said, uh, Liverpool still a point outside. Newcastle had a game in hand against Brighton on Thursday. Manchester United have their game in hand next week, uh, next Thursday uh, against Chelsea. So Liverpool are still, it's not in their hands. They're still relying on results elsewhere to go their, their way. And of course, you know, probably two results, I think, for isn't it, you know, in terms of they need even Newcastle and Man United to, to slip up twice in their last three games to be able to to have that real opportunity to, to sneak in there on the final day. But in terms of the pressure and what this means, and you spoke about it there, that Liverpool seem to kind of, they blame the pressure off. There's nothing on their shoulders, you know, if they're getting great, you know, given where they come from, and, and as Jurgen Klopp said, you know, and, and as I mentioned earlier, I you know, said six seven weeks ago, we couldn't believe that we'd be in this position now. For Newcastle and Man United, it's obviously a, a different pressure, and again, you know, similar to kind of how Arsenal have, you know, maybe capitalised on on that some teams haven't had their best seasons this year. Manchester United and Newcastle, especially, really making hay whilst New, uh, whilst Liverpool, whilst Tottenham, whilst Chelsea have struggled. The pressure's on these teams, isn't there, to to get into the Champions League? Because as you said earlier on, this summer, lots of teams are going to be, you know, adding to their squads. Liverpool will be, Chelsea will be, Tottenham, we don't know. We have to wait and see in terms of who comes in there, not only as manager, as director of football, but for for Newcastle and Manchester United, it might be tougher to get back into the top four places next year. This is an opportunity that they can't let slip for where they both want to go in terms of their progression. And as such, the pressure is, is
2: cranking up on them at this stage. Yeah, I think the pressure is really on both of them. I think from United's perspective, obviously, as a club, they have been there, done it. They're used to Champions League football throughout their history, but it would really put a massive blemish on Ten Hag's debut season and a season that I think general consensus seems to be that he's had a really good first season in charge. They've already got the Carabao Cup secured. They're in the FA Cup final. But I think if he misses out on Champions League, that completely alters the perception of how he's done in this first season. And... As for Newcastle, they have never been, or they haven't been here before for years. You know, this is a completely new Newcastle generation. And I think, like you say, so many teams are going to be strengthening in the summer. If they miss out, obviously they've got excess, endless wealth. But I think in a similar, I keep harking back to Arsenal, but the same way the title capitulation could hurt Arsenal's side because they haven't really done it before. I think the likes of Callum Wilson, Joe Willard, even someone like Alexander Isak, who haven't been in this position before, if they miss out next season, it'll be really interesting to see how they bounce back and if they can bounce back. So for the record, I think, I think they will do it. I think Newcastle and United will be the two that make up, the last two that make up the top four, but nothing's guaranteed. I think if, if either of them don't win, I think Newcastle have Brighton next. We saw on Sunday, that is not an easy game. If they slip up there, all of a sudden, the momentum completely shifts to Liverpool. And, you know, everyone at Anfield is going to be thinking, you know, we've got a chance here. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I, I think they'll hold their nerve. I think United will hold their nerve. But I think if they don't, it will have really kind of, it really damaging impacts on both next season.
1: Talk of qualifying to the Champions League moves now on to this season's Champions League, of course, and the the semi-final second legs this week. Uh, We're going to start by looking at Manchester City's uh, tie against Real Madrid. Evenly poised 1-1 after the first leg last week. Uh, We go again on Wednesday night at the Etihad. And it's really perfectly set up for the neutrals, Josh, isn't it? I can't hide my smile trying to say it, but we know that this is, well, we expect that this should be a lovely tantalising game of football between two of Europe's best teams and it's definitely going to be one for the neutrals, hopefully.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think think Manchester City are a better team. I I think that's not a particularly radical opinion to have, but it's so interesting to see how Real Madrid's aura seems to go before them at times. I don't think this is the best Real Madrid team, even in recent years, but... Yet they look so inevitable every time they play a Champions League knockout game. I mean, look what happened last year against Man City. They just seem to have this knack of being able to get over the line in this competition when it matters most, when the odds are stacked against them. Um, City, the complete contrast in that, whether it be Leon or Real Madrid last year, they fall apart maybe when it's in their hands. So from the neutral perspective, it's perfect to see which one, which trend buckles, whether it be Real Madrid finally being knocked out or City finally being able to get over the line and at that point being in a great position to potentially win their first Champions League. In terms of how the games guys play out on Wednesday,
1: what, what do we expect? You know, Real Madrid were... I think Roper dope might be the best best way to describe it at times, you know, ready to hit City on, on the break and, and did so brilliantly. Obviously, uh, the, the goal from Vinicius Jr. set up by a brilliant run from Eduardo Camavinga first as well. But they can't do that, can they, this time around? You know, they have to kind of, at least at times, show a bit more attacking in terms of places, not, not in terms of going on the counter. City as well, they kind of have to be a bit more, you know, you expect them to kind of take a bit more risk, a few more risks, you know. It's not about kind of, you know, worrying about not losing the game in the first league. It's about winning it now, isn't it? So should we be expecting a a completely different game to what we saw last week in Madrid?
2: I'm not so sure. I think certainly the first half of Wednesday, I think, will look quite eerily similar to the first leg. I think City are always going to have more of the ball. You saw it at the Bernabeu, you know, the way they, Real Madrid look more than happy to just set up in their own half and let the likes of Stones and Walker pass it between them. Um, I think that'll be a similar story for at least the first half. Um, Real Madrid are so lethal on the counter-attack you know, I mean you give it to Vinicius Jr and there's not many people that can catch him so again it harks back to that it's so perfectly set up they're contrasting traditions in the Champions League and they're contrasting playing styles in that they're such a perfect match for each other perfect opposites um, but like I said I think as the game goes on if it stays nil nil or 1-1 I think he that suits Real Madrid more. I think they've they've been in this position before, they know the competition, they have such an amazing history in the competition. I think City will know if they can just get past Real Madrid here, what kind of opportunity awaits them. I think they'll want to take an early lead because the longer it stays in the balance, I think you'll feel the tension rise in the Etihad and all of a sudden players that even the likes of De Bruyne and Grealish maybe get a bit nervous and kind of passes, starts to go astray, you panic and kind of don't take a touch and things like Little mistakes that you don't usually ever see from City. Never in the Premier League. I mean, they're in a title race now. Everton last weekend would have been, you know, an obvious time to slip up and they mastered that. But this competition seems to do something to them. So, yeah, it will... Uh, I think the longer it stays in the balance, the more it suits Real Madrid. Where do you think the game will be won and lost? And I'd
1: say that's a very, you know, we could probably go through and say every single uh, position on the pitch is a, is a battle area that could decide it. But which ones do you think, you know, could go? Are we are we talked about Haaland up against Rudiger again, seems to get the better of him, uh, Rudiger last week, and, and kind of really seemed to, to kind of get into Haaland and, and kind of cause him a, a, a few issues with some perhaps dark arts, shall we say. But of course there's other areas of the are pitch as well where there's so many intriguing battles, but which one or ones perhaps uh, do you think could be the ones that could go all the way to the side in the tight?
2: Yeah, like you said, I think it's 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 rare you you see two powerhouses meet and there's so many great individual battles. Harlan and Rudiger is obviously a massive one, but Carberhow and Grealish was one to watch in the first leg. I know they've they had a bit of back and forth. Um and Vinicius Jr. up against, i well, any of the City-back whether it be John Stones, shifts the right-back, or Kyle Walker. You know, I think that one in particular, Vinicius versus Walker, is one that could really decide. And they both seem to love, there was a little moment uh, after the first leg, while well, for the full time whistle had gone, where Walker, with a massive smile on his face, went and gave Vinicius Jr. a massive hug. I think they both are really relishing the kind of one-to-one element of, of the game. I think those three battles, haaland Rudiger, Grealish versus Carvajal and Vinicius versus Walker will be the ones that decide the game. I think if whoever, whichever way the kind of balance swings, whether it be City Madrid of those three battles, I think that team will end up winning the tie.
1: We're recording this podcast on Tuesday morning. So what I'm about to say next is at risk of, of saying something that's going to come back to haunt us. But... The other semi-final takes place on Tuesday night. It does look like uh, Inter Milan, having having taken the 2-0 lead uh, in the first leg, will probably be uh, getting the better of in England and and progressing to the final in Istanbul. The expectation will be that whoever comes out from Man City and Real Madrid will still go on to win the Champions League and will be a heavy, heavy favourites in that final. But what we saw from Inter Milan last week, Josh, it does still show that, especially in a striker like Edin Dzeko, that they still, they do still have someone who can operate at the very top level and can cause, you know, big teams a, a threat still. You know, it was a real throwback last week. And I suppose you look at perhaps all of the last four in the Champions League, it, it's a real throwback to the kind of the art of the number nine when we're talking about false nines. But we still got players like Dzeko, Ireland obviously for City, Benzema and, and Olivier Giroud uh, for, for AC Milan. There, there is still a place for a conventional number nine in modern football.
2: Yeah, I think if there's one takeaway from the first leg of the, of the Milan derby, it's that Inter should underestimate Inter at your peril, I think. And obviously, City have done that. I mean, you've got the Leon game a couple of years ago where I think maybe they thought the tie was won. I think if they, if they were to progress past Real Madrid and Inter obviously look like they're going to be in the final, whoever goes through to the final in the other leg, City Madrid cannot, cannot think that the tie is won if they get Inter because they, they that tie could have been out of sight within the first hour against AC Milan. I mean, it was 2-0 within fifteen minutes. But you know, there was a number of chances missed. They were cutting AC Milan open at will. They clearly aren't faced by pressure. And obviously they're used to playing in the San Ciro, but the majority of the fans in there that night were AC, AC fans. So yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be I think I think they're safe. I th- I think obviously this could come back to hornets like you say, but I think they're uh, they're as good as through. Milan AC Milan looked no terribly out of sorts. I mean, way back to when they, they managed to get past Spurs and they weren't particularly convincing earlier on in the competition. But it, this particular time comes at a terrible time for them. They, they, you know, Inter are on a seven-game winning run. Milan go into this one having last week lost 2-0 and been told off in public by their ultras. They look like a club in complete disarray. So I think Inter will be fancying themselves for this one. Yeah, for sure. When you mentioned Spurs then, as a, as a Spurs fan myself,
1: and it's taken me 29 minutes this morning. Normally I can, I can mention it sadly a little bit earlier, but it's not a therapy session this week. But I was, was just there thinking about AC Milan and about they squeaked through group stages, you know, and they've not done well. They've somehow stumbled into a semi-final and then our two goals down and I'm kind of, my mind's going back to, to Amsterdam in, in 2019. And I'm almost being close to tears at how good we used to be and how rubbish we are now. But anyway, enough about Spurs. There is no, as I said, no therapy session for me this morning. We are going to finish, though, on West Ham, uh, just briefly, Josh, in terms of uh, the Europa Conference League semi finals. They hold uh, a slender advantage over out Outmar going into Thursday's semi final, but it's in West Ham's hands, isn't it? You know, the kind of last year when they were in the Europa League semi finals, they were already up against it, going into the second leg against the Eintracht Frankfurt. It's different this time around. West Ham hold, you know, maybe all the aces, shall we say. Um, Of course, you know, expect the unexpected in European football, but perhaps all West Ham need to get into a first European final in almost 50 years. It's just a
2: really, really professional performance on Thursday night. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they hold their nerve, they should be good. I think there's a lot of storylines that you can look at from West Ham's journey this far in the competition. Obviously, last year they had some great moments, Leon away. I think if they were to get to their first European final in 50 years, it's all set up what fate would suggest is there's Declan Rice captain kind of the last thing he contributes before riding off into the sunset wherever he goes I think if they can get the best out of the likes of Antonio who has often come up trumps them in European competition he seems to enjoy playing playing on the European stage whether that be Europa League or Europa Conference League Ben Rahm was hitting form at a good time I think if they if they all their big players kind of can just hit seven or eights out of 10, the usual standard they've been, the kind of performance they put in against Man United a couple of weeks ago, just a simple 1-0. I know that was at home, but that should be enough to get past someone like Altmar, who, who aren't to be underestimated. They, went, they, they ran them close uh, in East London and and showed that they're, they're not to be messed with, but I think West Ham, given the kind of opposition they're used to facing, should have enough in the tank to get past them given what's on the line. And just think we're
1: we're two games away potentially from Mikael Antonio having more trophies in his cabinet than Harry Kane. I definitely need therapy after realising that now. Um, Josh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Really appreciate your time. As always, of course, you can keep up to date with all the latest from the Premier League, Champions League, Europa Conference League and of course the Europa League so I'm sure we are doing a little bit on that despite the fact that there's no British uh, representation if they're at this stage this season. Uh, but of course, you can keep up to date with all those competition across the Mirror, the Express and the Daily Star websites. But for now, It's goodbye.